What's going on? You're new to our podcast. This is Ruiz and Movies, or Random for short. Uh, and this is episode number 66. We are currently working on getting our backlog thrown up onto iTunes and SoundCloud and other podcast listening places. But for 828, I am joined with my friend Luke. Say hello. I refuse to say hello. I won't be your puppet. <laughs> and for this week, uh, we watch the latest news and entertainment and movies and whatnot. So we keep you up to date, give you an, an idea of if you want to watch something or if you should avoid it. This week, we watched uh, episode seven of Castle Rock, uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, season three, uh, episode nine and ten. Uh, we finish off Sharp Objects by watching... Episodes 6 through 8 on HBO. And then theatrically, uh, we watched Happy Time Murders. And I finally got caught up with 8th Grade and Black Klansmen, so we can discuss those as well. Did you get everything watched for this week, Luke? Yes. I, you ask every week, and it's been one time. One time I didn't watch Ghost in the Shell. It's the only fucking time that I watched everything. <laughs> See, I just got, I just got to double check. Um but you saw Black Klansman in eighth grade a couple weeks ago, so you should have some pretty good insight because it usually takes you a good week to gather all your real thoughts that you want to use. So I'm excited about those conversations. Um, for the most part, or I've completely <laughs> well, I'll rejog your memory then. Um, for the most part, it was pretty stellar week, except for one thing, and we'll get to that later, I suppose. Um, but. Uh, was is there any news that happened this week that you want to talk about or discuss? Nope, I'm good. Good deal. Let's get right into it with Castle Rock. Then episode seven. What did you think? Uh, that this continues the thread of me just feeling very lost vibes from the show. Cause, like this very much felt like Desmond. You no, know, the constant. Tell me that was not Desmond episode. It was such a. When they kicked into it and in doing like the time traveling mom episode, I was like, I hope it stays with us the whole episode, which it did, and it was just beautifully laid out. Like, I fell in love with the show with this episode. It was very good. It's not hard to have a good episode when you just let Sissy Spacek be in every scene because she's such a fantastic actress but uh it's still kind of weird i you know everything's kind of in limbo at least you know with lost they give you a fucking dumbass pseudoscience thing you know like his consciousness is on more and he's traveling through time mm-hmm. into his own body at different timelines this until the end it feels very much like he's just lost in her own memories right until yeah. you realize that the gunshot from the future is resonated through back into the 90s and brought it, you know, like, so there is some manipulation of the timeline there at the end. So it's very disjointed in that way. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was awesome that the uh, Henry's son kind of gave, like, a kind of a latitude to it and, like, was that AR game that he was playing on his phone kind of similar to what's happening in Castle Rock, it feels. Um, and that was awesome. Um, yeah. I think leaving off last episode was the perfect place. 
you have stick running in the house and there's just blood everywhere. Um, figures it's the moms and this episode we get played out to see how it's all happening and you see most of it happening it through her eyes and like she's kind of visiting herself in the past and like giving a nod to herself as she sees them and like just so wild um like like as this desmond episode it was fantastic like i i don't want to spoil anything because it was so well crafted considering everything that's came before in this season I mean, like, it's good. The show's good. <laughs> I'm just not as effusive as it about it as you are, I guess. I, I don't I don't believe that. I, it feels like this is getting into your wheelhouse now that, like, you should really start gravitating towards it. Eh, apparently it should, I guess, but it's not. So, <laughs> I mean, it's still really good. I'm just not going to, like, that's fair. I don't know. It's got me hooked. I'm not in love with it. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, yeah, I just love how it's all weaving, and then the element that seems to be the threat isn't the threat. Yeah, I'm really gravitating towards the season. Like, I'm really excited about it coming all together because, like we were saying with sharp objects this weekend, the storytelling's above par of what we've seen already this year and I think it's all going to come together really well so I think that's really all I've got for Castle Rock well you can believe that but I've read enough Stephen King to know that like he always fucks the ending up so maybe they'll do that here just to be reverent towards him I'm uh, unlike Sharp Objects where I lean heavily on the writing or everything that's there I feel these people that are doing the adaptations of Stephen King's stuff, they are uh, creating the endings that work um, rather than leaving. Because, I mean, the stuff that we've seen from Stephen King this last year, like, well, I guess it isn't finished, but, like, 1922 and Gerald's Game, they all ended pretty superior. And, like, even The Mist from a decade ago, that ending was rewritten and like it feels like or I'm just leaning on the fact that uh, whoever's doing the adaptation can close the uh, close the timeline and make it work but even then has has this been Never. picked up for the second season yet? It has but it's going to be an anthology okay. like it's not going to be the same characters gotcha. like I'm thinking you know, they might show up as like tangentially, but it's going to follow a different group. Right on, right on. Different storyline. So, yeah, I think that's it for that. Uh, did you have anything else for Castle Rock? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, uh, so moving on, let's go with Twin Peaks Season 3, uh, Episode 9 and 10. And what a wild ride we've had with that, huh? Well, these were very, uh, it, it, it did something I'm not used to Twin Peaks doing where it was very just expository and it's like, sit down, we're going to, we're going to start explaining a lot of stuff here. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like that was happening Which a is lot, weird. but we were also getting some great scenes with that. Um, you have uh, Evil Coop kind of like 
laying out the groundwork of what's to come with his story, um, kind of the different storylines kind of starting to work towards the same goal. Um, yeah, they like I said, it just feels weird, but they do that thing where it's just like all this stuff's happening right here in South Dakota, and this, you know, it's just like everything's converging finally. It's very weird. Um, um, you get a bunch of or a handful of scenes that are outside of the normal stories, and even those are starting to uh, come together in some sense. Um, we're finding out who, yep, and then, who uh, the other characters are that we've seen that haven't been in the previous seasons, too. Yep, we get all that, but we literally get the best thing ever, which is just real thirsty Naomi Watts wanting that Dougie love. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you had Dougie where he was two weeks ago to new Dougie, I mean... Makes sense. Makes complete sense. And then you're sitting there watching him get his uh, checkup from the doctor. And it's like, oh, damn. He gets Dougie love. Oh, damn. Dougie lost a lot of weight. Dougie didn't give a fuck. (laughs) He was was enjoying his cake. And all of a sudden, Watts is like, hey, let's let's make something happen. And he's like, I'm going to enjoy this cake. You do whatever. (laughs) <laughs> and then, then the action comes together, and it's pretty hilarious. It's uh, on one hand, it's very weird to see all these people just doing a hand wave to like, oh, this person was always a functioning person, but he did have that car accident. I'm sure this is just a <laughs> just a temporary relapse from that. It's like, no, he can't really function right now. I hope we get a scene of how he was prior to the switch um, because it's hard to believe that he's that much different than what he used to and it's like it feels so odd that everybody's just hand holding him along right now and like that just seems to be the norm yeah it's very odd but it does parallel you know like it's a more kind of tragic view of like season one Cooper who was just like almost childlike in his wonder of everything, you know, be like, what kind of trees are those? Oh, what kind of coffee? You know, this in love with learning new things. And it's almost a very maudlin response to that of like, this is a person who can't function and sees everything way here. Which I was thinking about this and like, um, kind of like the box sets where you have the first seasons that are Verilora and this new season was Coop. And how their stories kind of mirror each other, except reverse. Um, where Laura didn't have much to do in that first season. Like, it feels like Coop doesn't have much to say in this season, but he has a lot to do with everything. Yeah, but that's just for now. Because once Coop comes back, it's going to be the best thing ever. I mean, he was like have Cobra, to so... <laughs> that Dougie Jones is no victim. He's like a cobra. <laughs> um, a couple other odd scenes. Um, the not your foot scene out in the woods. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to get another character for the Black Lodge. Uh, which I just, I just think that's a really, really stoned Jerry Horn is all that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. Um, 
I didn't that said that we did. Uh, I thought it was just somebody out in the random in the woods. Oh no, that that's Jerry. He got real high and got lost in the woods like two episodes yeah. ago. Gotcha. Um, um, you, uh, we find out that uh, the young horn who is uh, running around murdering people in Twin Peaks is uh, Ben Horde's grandson. So it had to be Audrey's son. So my, uh, we're one step closer to my awful prediction from last week. Which almost seems like wouldn't Johnny also be their grandson? I believe probably. No, Johnny is Audrey's brother. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Remember he was, uh, remember in season one, he was, like, having dinner with the headdress, and they talked about how he was, like, mentally slow. Uh, yep, yep, gotcha. Um, that's cool. I'm glad you're wrapping, bringing all these together for me. Uh, and then you get, um, Diane, kind of, as a spy, kind of, type thing. Um. I, I don't know. I don't buy that. Ugh. I want, I'm more leaning towards that evil coop and that, uh, the other FBI lady who's with, uh, Gordon and Albert. I think she's setting up Diane. I don't trust that lady. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I haven't even thought about that, but yeah, I guess I think that could be, uh, and then you have Bobby going to his mom's place and then talking about his father because they found the body and whatnot. And, Oh, that's Which is such head. a great, and that's such a great callback to like uh, that scene in the original series where Bobby sits down with his father and his dad tells him about the dream he had about how he grew up to be fine and all that. You know, it's just a beautiful kind of mirror of that old stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, that look of on Bobby's face when he's just like, "Oh, I I know all the answers to this. You know, this was my father. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he did me and he showed me all this stuff for a reason." It's so wild, and plus that paired with this this episode of Castle Rock, like, kind of leans towards like this is how the major lived, which was kind of a cool thing coincidence that happened this week. Um, yeah, and then we get to learn about a little bit more of what the major was working on, and through uh, William Hastings' character who's being interrogated and talks about this blog who's working for a different dimension. Which kind of felt like that came out of nowhere. <laughs> like, he's been in prison all this time, and nobody was just like, what about this uh, this blog he had? And he's talking about other dimensions. And, you know, and he, re- he says, you know, he saw that librarian die there, yet he's all shocked when they find her dead. It's very odd. But what isn't uh, odd about Twin Peaks? Yeah, for sure. And then you have that scene with the girls in the bar that I'm sure will come back in the next few episodes. Um, Are you sure? I I don't know. It's almost becoming a parody now, though, that every episode has some kind of weird musical interlude and it almost always ends. It's possible. I mean, we've had some scenes that haven't been connected yet, so it could be just a way to end the show with giving, giving... basically the spotlight to a band or something like that. So could be odd. Uh, then going into episode 10, uh, you have Richard who is, uh, Ben's grandson killing this Miriam character and then talking to the other sheriff that we haven't been seeing much of. Fucking 
fucking Chad, who's always like yeah. eating his dinner in the wrong spot and being an <laughs> asshole. So you see Chad's working on the inside for these guys, so. Um, and then you get these scenes with the casino guys uh, and Candy. Candy is just this bumbling idiot and just crazy. Just ridiculous. But yeah. Um, and then comes full circle with the uh, Bobby learning or knowing all the secrets for the flute type thing or whatever that they they had gotten from his mom. Um, and then Albert and Lynch kind of debating whether what's going on with Diane. So that makes me think that Diane is the spy considering how Lynch uh, felt that she was not trustworthy or something like that when they hugged. So I don't know. Oh, and then you get that sweet picture of evil coop in the box from New York uh, penthouse. He wasn't in the box. He was outside the box. I I think it shows that he was the one who, no, he was. He's clearly outside of the box talking to that guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Ben gets the call from his wife about the money. Uh, his grandson coming and stuff. I believe it's his. It, it, it's his ex-wife at this point. I believe mm-hmm. that's the way I took it. Yeah, I'm guessing that's why. But you get that terrible, that horrible, awful fucking teddy bear scene too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, uh, and then the log lady uh, gives another call to Hoff. So, yeah, yeah. It seems like we're kind of like things are starting to converge. Um, you know the uh, the the cops who took Dougie's uh, cups, so they can fingerprint him. I'm sure that's going to flag as being Cooper's prints, and that's going to bring them to Cooper, the real Cooper, and it's all kind of going to come to see, a head eventually. You see, wanted- they're Coop's prints, I think they were getting his wife's prints. Because she had just set the cup. Why would they be getting his wife's prints? Because she had just taken a drink and set the cup next to Dougie. But literally the point before that is they think he's in witness protection because he has no record before 12 years ago. So they're trying to get prints to see if he actually pops up as someone else. Oh, that makes sense too. Obviously how he holds his cup as well. Like he just two hands it. Um, you get mm-hmm. the electric sound coming from the uh, electric outlet too in this weird God bless America playing in the background. It's just looking at the flag. It's so weird. It's 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 the remnants of Coop, you know, it's the baseline of like him being for his country and an FBI. It's all these parts trying to break free from this this cage of Dougie Jones that he's locked in. I just want him to break free. You know what I'm saying? But what's going to happen to Dougie when that happens? What's going to happen to Dougie's family? I imagine he would just... uh, I think he'll start emerging and realize that that Dougie had a family and he'll just uh, feel compelled to uh, and obligated to stay with them. Because I was thinking about that too. I wonder if Dougie didn't go into the Black Lodge a virgin, and then when him and Watts had sex, like, that was his first time. You know? But he has the kid. That's Dougie's, you know, Dougie Jr., Sonny Jr., Sonny Jim, no, no, whatever no, the hell his name I, is. I mean actual coop. I think that would have been his Oh, first. no, because he had sex with uh, the, the, the Heather Graham. 
Come on, man. He talked about knowing how to please a woman. That's fair. That's fair. See, I'm glad I have you on he, for this discussion. <laughs> he just, uh, they could, you know, they, they tied him so close to Audrey in that first, you know, run of the show, and she was underage at the time, so he wasn't a very sexual being at that time. Nice. That makes sense, see? I'm glad you're along. So I think that's it for Twin Peaks then? Yeah, I'm ready for the next. I don't want the show to be over, but I also want to, like, see what's happening yeah, and get through it, you just know? just crossed the halfway point, so. It's, uh, well, we got four, hmm. four doubles now. Four Probably. Doubles. Yeah, we're doing, what, 11 and 12? Yeah, sounds about right. <sighs> One more month. Almost done. One more month and we'll be all caught up. I really don't want it to end. <laughs> so... Moving from that to sharp objects, and how do you feel about the whole overall season? Uh, I feel great because I was right about one thing at least. <laughs> Son of a bitch. As soon as that episode ended, there was a pit in my stomach. I was like, oh, great. Luke's going to rub this in. Because he was definitely. <laughs> So, going back, a little recap on the season. Um, Basically, you have Amy Adams coming back to her childhood home to solve a mystery of murders that are happening. Not there to solve a mystery. She's there to report upon a mystery. There you go. Um, Murders of two girls that have happened. Um, There's in Windcap that this kind of takes place it's a small rural rural town that like gossip heavy and everybody knows everybody's business and you (sighs) Amy Adams has her share of problems as long alongside of everybody else Um, and you start to see Amy Adams character really really get defined in these last few episodes for sure um i love this season it's kind of pain it i don't want to say it's painful to watch but like with gone girl this is the same writer who wrote gone girl there's a a moment where it ends and it feels like something cut you inside that you have no way of fixing. And that's exactly how this season ended. So with that being said, uh, if you haven't watched any sharper objects, I highly suggest you go check that out on HBO and then come back to this discussion. Now, um, as we get into the last episodes, episode six through eight of sharp objects, um, I kind of have, I kind of wrote down uh, the list of things that happened. So if you want me to do run out downs per episode, or do you just want to kind of over arc it? Uh, no, let's, let's all through. Cause I pretty much did uh, all the talking. I wanted to off air through text uh, a couple yeah. days ago. So, so this, so we had a conversation Saturday evening, the day before the finale hit on Sunday and we were just, or Luke contacts me and tells me that I got to get through these episodes so I can figure out, help him talk through who the killer is. Um, I'm like, all right, all right. So I'll watch them at night. 
got back to him. And I was fear, fearful that I was going to spoil myself, which doesn't make any sense because this the season's been pretty well laid out that it kind of creepens towards who the killer is. So I don't think there's really any spoiling. I think it's just a, ah, I got you moment. And then it's immediately, oh, fuck. So what else? How's, what else? How's they going to close that? So uh, episode six, you have uh, Jackie talking to the detective, like running into him and like kind of leaning heavily towards that. Uh, he's on the right trail. He just has to keep digging. Um, then you have them finding the bike at the uh, hog confinement place. Um, and you have that whole throwdown of the te- detective meeting Adora and the chief there as they pull this bike out. Uh, Amy Adams goes over, talks to Ashley, and realizes she's just in it for her name in print. Um, she doesn't really care about saving anybody. She just wants to get, like, her 15 minutes of fame. Um, then you have the detective going, looking into Adora's children's past. Um, goes to a different, couple different clinics to find out that information. Which was surprising to me, because I was going to... I was hoping that we were going to find out that Adora poisoned her roommate in the psych ward as a way of Amy Adams getting out of there so she could take care of her rather than the hospital thing, but we never get that. Um, then she went to hang out with her old cheerleader friends. Uh, I think it was Kyle that was apologizing for what happened in the past and she just didn't give a fuck because it had happened and she didn't care that he was remorseful because it was a fucked up thing to happen to anybody and you should have to live with that the rest of his life. And then the whole parking on the lawn situation. (laughs) Um, and then it closes, basically closes out with, uh, 15 minutes of partying with Ama, Ama and her friends, uh, taking drugs, drinking, then coming back to the house high and strung out basically. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then you get this conversation where Amma wants to come back and stay with her in St. Louis. Um, kind of seems like they both know what the jig is. And it's cool to see the detective get closer and find these little pieces where... Uh, <laughs> so that episode ended and I immediately text... Luke, as the next episode starts, as Adora has changed her, the daughters in their clothes, got them in bed, and is like taking care of their hangovers, basically. And Amy is having none of it because she has some work to do, so she wants to get the hell out of there. But uh, it got to that point, I immediately texted. Luke, I was like, Adora's a killer. Definitely 100%. I'm doubling down. Like, <laughs> there's no way Adora didn't kill. And he's like, did you watch the episode? I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just starting it. He's like, god damn it. And then, so I'll text you when I get done with it. And so, with episode seven, uh, at, at some point, 
Marion shows up and tells Amy that she's not safe in the house. Um, so Adora's taking care of them. You get the scene where Amy tells Ama that she doesn't need to be taken care of. Like she can basically not get out of out from underneath Adora's thumb. Um, then you have Ashley leading the police to evidence to help convict John King. Uh, the detectives finding out about Adora. Uh, Amy finding John Keane at the other drinking establishment, like, 20 miles away, I think it was. Um, and then drinking with John, kind of discussing about him not being the killer and, like, him needing to verbally say that for sure. Um, and then kind of going through events and things that happened and they make their way back to her hotel, uh, where they make love, um, it's kind of a pretty beautiful scene, but also pretty awkward scene <laughs> because it, it just feels odd for sure. Because this is the first time you see Amy Adams giving up, basically, or basically taking down her her walls, and like they've shared these emotional traumas from their past essentially that they're closer to each other than she has to anybody else in the show for the most part um then you get the scene where Amma's friends show up to the house and Adora tells her that she's sick uh and then Adora's mixing the medicine and the husband's kind of like take it easy on them but she's like, I know what I'm doing. And then you get this weird scene of the husband recollecting scenes with Ama, like growing up. So it kind of seems like Adora's definitely planning on killing Ama at this point. Um, and then the police bust in and take John Keen. Um, Amy and the detective square off and kind of it's this moment where he's disappointed that he wasn't able to get that close to her. Um, he's pissed off about that, but also this point that she slept with the like main and the main suspect in the investigation, like it's this whirlwind of bullshit that he has to deal with now. And like, it's, it's, very heartbreaking considering like she was that close to having something really well and just kind of threw it away it, it left me with a pit in my stomach because you have this character that's portrayed as this heroine and she's going to figure this all out and solve this murder and it gets to this point and like the detective lays it out she's just a drunk in a slut and kind of leaves it at that but at, before doing that he leaves the folder of um, Marion's past records of when they were growing up and kind of realizes what has happened and then she goes to confront Jackie and then calls her editor to tell her that uh, she's going to finish it where we left and I called Luke and was like Adora's definitely the killer like 
I'm sure she killed these other girls just to get Amma not having friends so she could take care of her at home. To which Luke fought me tooth and nail. Uh, you want to go with your argument? Uh, I just laid it out very simply that it was 100% Amma who did it. Uh, one, like I said, I think it's 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 unbelievably within a narrative structure to give away the killer's identity that soon when in a way you didn't really, I, I never believed. How did I say it to you? That Adora would never hurt the town that way. You know, like everything that Amy Adams characters do on Camille, like, you know, writing about the town and the murders, it's disrespectful to the people there and to the standing within the town. And, you know, she couldn't do that. So there's no way that she was going to kill kids outside of her own, obviously. Um, Which I, but, I couldn't uh, believe. Yeah, that's where I, I was. I couldn't believe that was the way this was going to end because I retorted with, with from what we saw from Essentia and uh, Altered Carbon, and there was another one. But, like, they all kind of gave the killer away at the beginning of the the last episode and then we kind of deal with all the kickback and what happened whatnots from that last episode so that's where we left our conversation and then we haven't talked to each other from the finale but so episode eight kicks off um camille is basically realizes the food has been poisoned and starts eating the, the poison food um no, the food has not been poisoned. Really? I really thought that she had poisoned the ham that, like, that's why she kept telling uh, Emma to keep eating. No, she, uh, Camille faked being yeah, sick so that Adora would go take care of her so that she could get the poison in her system as evidence against Adora, but she wasn't poisoning the food. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so then you have Adora taking care of uh, Camille. Um, Chief is late. You've gotten two or three scenes this far this season of how he wakes up in the morning, gets breakfast, like takes his time leisurely getting to work, wakes up, realizes late, just throws everything together, and takes off to work to where they're interrogating John Keane. And John is adamant that he didn't do it, but they have evidence pointing to the opposite of that. Um, you get the scene of Adora and Camille in the bath, where um, telling Adora that she knows uh, she had asked Ama to previously go tell the detective what was happening and like she got stopped on her way out by the husband and says hey let's go eat cake in your bedroom and like let's forget all about those pr troubles and Amma agrees so she hoped her sister would save her and she didn't um, regardless the cops show up because the editor came through and insisted and almost broke down the door to the uh, police station uh, then you get them showing up, taking Adora into custody, um, cuts to them in the hospital, and basically laying out, like, 
we definitely know that she's been poisoning you guys because of the poison that's in both of your systems, and obviously Camille wasn't adjusted to it. Um, and then you have them going home to St. Louis and making new friends. Uh, somewhere in there, the trial and jail for Adora, and then um, you have this really sweet scene of Camille wrapping up this whole entry for this for the newspaper and like the the way it ended with the editor reading it was just perfect and then you get the last scene which was such insanity like when that happened and I just I don't have words for that last few moments you could start with Yes, Luke, you were right. Of course it was well, Alma. I'm, no, no, no. I want to be perfectly clear that I absolutely wanted you to be right because we haven't seen strong writing like this most of this year. Uh, there's been a few cases, but definitely we've been let down with shows, obviously Westworld and Legion, like the high hopes for the season. And this one came out of nowhere and it, it just felt watching that last episode and I was like why did I why don't I like watching Gone Girl and it's like it's a no win situation at the end like there's no way of getting around or away from this madness and this season ends that same way to the point where I even announced on Twitter like the lady who wrote this is the most terrifying writing writer that I know. Like I've given Stephen King props for twisting something inside that I don't like, but like this is a whole different league of terrifying. Like, she yeah, you worried. <laughs> you didn't say you worried a little 14 year old girl is going to pull your teeth out. No, no, I'm, not necessarily worried about me, but it's like I'm worried about Camille, the one that kind of found redemption and was like, oh yeah, by the way, you're living with a murderer. <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. Like, I didn't even realize the the dollhouse, the ivory tiles, like when they announced the, the real ivory tiles for Calhoun Day, like they made such a big deal about it the, and then it comes back and it's like Obviously, her uh, tile floor wasn't done, so she needed a few more teeth. And it's like, that's a whole level of fucked up that I don't ever want to see in my real life. <laughs> you just keep making tile every time she has to kill somebody. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's fucking sharp objects. What a fucking work. What a trip. Um, the acting was incredible like just superbly done like I'm excited to see Amy Adams in anything now like I think the way she portrayed uh, Camille this whole season and I'm definitely getting I'm ready to get back to it uh, chapter 2 with the young girl um, because I think she was great even though I mean she for the most part had worthless scenes but 
her acting was still pretty compelling. But, like, yeah. Everybody did a knockout job on this whole season. Yeah, I was talking to one of my friends, um, and I was saying how I felt. uh, I feel like everyone is playing younger than they should be. Like, I... The way the characters are written, I feel like Camille should be, like, in her early 20s and, like, uh, Adora is, like, in her mid-40s. Like, but they got such great actors that there's, like, sure, Amy Adams, why would I say no to her? We'll just change Camille to a 40-year-old. It's cool. Whatever. Yeah. It's so trippy. This whole show is phenomenal. So, yeah, I think that's about it. That's all I've got for the show. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, uh, just, you know, we've talked about it all. It's impeccably edited. I think it's, yeah. like, that's the, just the, the sheer filmmaking on hand is amazing. But again, Four. that works when you get a singular vision. You know, this was a mini series in the sense, you know, like, it was one guy who directed every episode. And I think that helps keep a tone consistent and a style consistent. It's the same reason, like, True Detective season one works so well is because Kerry Fukunaga did it all, you know, like these singular visions doing these, these whole seasons, I think is very effective. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, um, to speak to on that behalf too, like to be that surprised within HBO show for the first time in a while and just how well this was just put together for everything was, <sighs> I'm glad we got through it. Uh, I'm glad we didn't watch it week to week because I think it would have been it would have been hard for those last few weeks um, I'm glad we split it up like we did and caught the last three uh, because it was great having that conversation of trying to figure out who the killer was and you were right of course and my reasoning was right too she was fucking yeah your, your reasoning was phenomenal like I was so upset that I hadn't thought that far ahead but like I felt like everything was laid out so well because of how Gone Girl was shown. Like it, it showed you both sides of the coin and what was happening along the side, and like there wasn't really a twist. It was just kind of dealing with what they had put in front of you. So yeah, phenomenal yeah. show. Yeah. So moving from there, the great hit of the week. Uh, Happy Time Murders. How did you like it? It's a giant piece of shit, and that's all I really got to say about it, right? What a what a what a big pile of shit! <laughs> <laughs> I I want to like the idea of this, but that movie was just bad. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the problem. Is like it's just not good. Yeah. It it doesn't it has nothing to do with like the concept of the film. Even though I feel we're getting to the point where it's it's almost becoming a genre cliche of its own, to where you partner two people up and one's a human, and then the other one is like the first of their kind, and they're a lower class because they're different. You know, it's the same thing Bright did. And I swear I've seen it seven other times in movies. You know, yeah. Uh, but it's just not it's not funny. Uh, I don't feel any of the puppets have character. Yeah, you know they all just seem like puppets. It was crude just for the sake of being crude, and it just 
I, if it sucks because I really like Jenny McCarthy. I think her timing, comedic timing, was really great a few years back. But these last few movies, she's just been getting in front of the camera and just putting, just phoning it in, and which sucks because I really like her as a comedic actor. But she hasn't done anything well for the last two or three movies for sure. Um, but as far as the the puppet side of everything. Like, that was just too weird and they just didn't make it work. Um, and to have a Henson name on it just feels kind of... It feels dirtier than it should. <laughs> Whatever. I wouldn't go that far. But I do think it's... It's one of those things where, you know, even in Bright, they just give it, like, five minutes, you know, just a little expository beginning and be like, here's... Here's here's the world you're in, you know. Orcs have always been here. Deal with it. But in this, it's like I don't understand the con- the concept, and that kind of kept me out of it for a while. Yeah. I was like, yeah. have puppets always been a thing? Like, were there puppets back in the Great Depression in the 1920s? Like, I mean, I don't I don't understand because they say you know like puppets weren't accepted until the Happy Time Gang show, but obviously that wasn't that long ago. I don't know. It was, it was just so odd. Um, and then you get Elizabeth Banks out of nowhere, and it's like her death. It was like <laughs> it was very obvious that that was staged. And it was like, oh, that well, fuck. Like there was yeah, there but was it was no staged and this damn movie. <laughs> what was so weird is like they like I feel like that movie had to have been cut to ribbons because like oh, like yeah. if you point out Elizabeth Banks' character, like it doesn't make any sense. Like. They fake her death only for her to show up at the end and do nothing, yeah. for for no reason, you know. So, don't go to that movie. And it's bad. I really don't have anything beyond that to say. It's bad. Melissa McCarthy's not funny. She needs to go away for a while. And and if you want if you want a good, funny, weird puppet thing, go watch the smile time episode of Angel season five where he gets turned into a puppet and they're investigating a puppet murder. It's much better. I'm going to have to take your advice on that one. one (laughs) Uh, Moving on, uh, eighth grade and what a brilliant piece of cinema. Uh, It's definitely one of the most cringeworthy I've watched in a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Bo Burnham did an excellent job of creating this very awkward vibe that was that transition from middle school to high school. Like, at no point did I feel like, oh, that's out of place. Like, and plus, Bo Burnham's, like, editing and directing, like, fit so well in this movie. Like, uh, have you ever seen any of his comedy specials? Uh, I, I watched them the last couple days just because um, there were slight not like he directed his um, Santa specials a very same way where he would intentionally like just it would be this loud noise and uh, sidetracked conversation uh, just works so well. Um, 
there's so much I love about this movie. It's really well shot. Um, I love the the points where it cuts out and like there's just music playing and like the really deep scenes are happening are playing out. I think everybody acting acting wise did a great job. Um, the dad stood out for me. I, I hope we see him in a lot more because I think he did an excellent job. Um, yeah, everyone's really good. Um, it, it's a rather it's smart in the way that it's definitely talking about how um, social media and like the screens in front of us, how they are so prevalent in society now and how these kids are growing up different than even, you know, the kids six years older than them did, but it's not, um, it's not making a statement. You know, the film's not trying to say it's bad or it's good. It's just saying, this is the way life is. That's how it is. You know, like, I think that's smart not to try and make a message out of it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it was just more of just following her journey as as she transitions. Um, it's with a really sweet video of her making her to her future self and, like, this constant ebb and flow of validation and, like, figuring out you are good enough. And, like, I can't be- I can't say that I had shit figured out that well in 8th grade and obviously this is a movie but like what a turbulent times and what a perfect encapsulated movie for that to show that off of yeah it's very awkward and cringeworthy and painful and it brings you right back to that time when yeah that's how everything was you know everything felt life or death you know oh if you don't go to the pool party you're gonna you know, like, it's the biggest moment of your life, even though it's definitely not. It captures that feeling of, I feel you know, a, adolescence. Yeah, I feel it's like a real tragedy that it got hit with the R rating. I think probably because it just had two fucks in it. But, like... Well, you saw the you saw the thing a couple weeks ago where they just let people in free and yeah. didn't card, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, I wish that would have happened more than just the one day, but, I mean, obviously you can't, but... What a great movie, and I hope more people see it. I hope the the word of mouth in this really gets to a streaming service soon, sooner than normal, and like more people are able to catch it because I think it's a really great film. Well, I think a lot of people, if they want to see it, I think it's open to. I mean, you were able to see it, you know. That's pretty much the last hit. If you're able to see something, you know, pretty much anyone can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so then moving on from that to Black Klansman, finally. And what did you think about this movie? Uh, I think it's brilliant and it's wonderful and it, it's everything you want it to be, you know, like in terms of, you know, we're not going to pull any punches and I'm upset about the institutionalized racism in this country and the inequality and I'm just going to make a movie screaming at you about it for two hours but I'm also going to make it super entertaining to watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, you talk about this year being the worst times for this shit to happen and like this movie is that again like it's it's painful to see people with these views and like you know people with those kind of viewpoints and it just sucks 
it sucks that this is the world we're living in and like I hope we get to a point where we don't have to deal with this but like obviously this world was like that 30 40 years ago and like it's it just sucks yeah I mean the the you know, you, you, we can skip right to the end. You know, ostensibly there is sort of a victory in the film. You know, they're able to claim some sort of moral win from this investigation into the KKK they had. But then, you know, it's completely undercut by jumping ahead to last year and the Charlottesville riots and what happened there and showing you that, no, nothing's really changed in 30, 40 years. You know, it's yeah. still it's still there and it's coming back in a kind of a scarily open way. Like, you know, like you, you take the scenes where, you know, they're talking about David Duke, and, but, you know, he wants to, you know, get, you know, get away from the robes and the scare tactics and they want to be politicians in the face of something. And then when you cut to last year in, in Charlottesville, you know, it's fucking, tiki torches but it's you know button down polos and khaki shorts you know like they they took the idea and ran with it it's fucked up that's for sure um but speaking about the film like it's just brilliant um i'm glad i was able to catch it because we were talking about this earlier this year i think adam driver is a phenomenal actor and he brings it so well uh, obviously the main lead uh does as well i can't think of his name um, do you have it? Uh, um, um, I can't remember his first name, but I know his last name's Washington because it's Denzel's son. Oh, right, right on. Um, yeah, they just did a great job of portraying this insane scenario that I can't. I do totally believe that this really happened, and the. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get a sorry to bother you where like, oh yeah, this is kind of what is happening. And then it's just 180 return and just complete madness at the end. But um, yeah, phenomenal movie. Yeah. It's really well. I've never been like, I don't know. I've never been a huge Spike Lee fan, but his movies and like them in a very, you know, effusive way like I will just be like yeah the movie's brilliant and great and it's directed well and why doesn't he do more and then and then something doesn't hit and I'm like oh, hey, yeah and I really have something to say but you know, every eight nine years he pops up and, and this time he was really really pissed off and you can feel that in the tone of the film oh yeah yeah for sure um I think the way the story kind of crescendos and comes together, like at near the end, like just just brilliant, brilliant way of how these characters like kind of uh, just basically got thrown into a scenario with all of them together and like the craziness that ensued. So so wow. Get a chance, definitely check the movie out. Yeah, it's it's well worth watching. Because even if like the points we might be talking about is you know kind of heavy and serious, it's actually for a lot of the runtime, it's very light and funny. Mm-hmm. 
I think yeah, that, it, it, and I think that's, I think that's the, the thematically what Spike wants. I think he's trying to say, you know, no matter how dumb and silly and inoffensive these people seem, at their core, they're still awful and full of hatred and violence within. So don't be taken off guard by it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But to do uh, that, you, you get that? really funny scenes. You know, it's it's hyper contextualized. It's it's crazy to think about because um, there's that movement in comics right now called Comicsgate, and it's these people that think they're being mar- it's white males that think they're being marginalized, and it's like no, you're you're being ridiculous thinking that nobody wants your stories. It's like, no, there's plenty of room in the world for everybody's stories to exist and for you to tear down and hate females and other, other minorities just because you want to get your foot in the door is ridiculous. Yeah. There is no such thing as like, the plight of the middle class straight white man, like that you don't you don't have it hard. Like just fuck off with that insane narrative that you keep trying to push. Yeah. So, um, I think that'll do for this week. Uh, then what are we watching next week? Then I don't know. It's a good thing this new app we have is an edit button. We might have to edit back in at the end. Um, <laughs> the uh, I know the only thing theatrically is Ken. Seen that, but that's another one of those, you know, from the producers of Stranger Things comes this other movie about a kid and some weird stuff, so have fun. But uh, (laughs) that's the only thing opening theatrically. Then, obviously, we have the next two of Twin Peaks, Uh, but outside of that, we might have to do a quick, uh, like, like a Twitter throwdown after we figure out what we want to watch or something. Um, I think we got, uh, isn't Jack Ryan on Amazon. Yeah, but are you ready to jump into another series? Um, I don't know. I kind of just want to check out the pilot. And, I mean, we could have done that at any point, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that comes out the 31st, I believe. So we can touch the pilot and see what happens there. But Yeah. Um, yeah, so. We'll figure something show out. Up. Yeah, we'll figure it out, and then we'll uh, let you all know. So that'll do it for us this week. Uh, we'll check you out next week for Rubies in Movies, number 67. Peace and pineapples. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android. <laughs>